1: what is going on pacer nation welcome back to another episode here of setting the pace on PacersTalk.net. now it's been a few weeks but the boys are back as they would say and kent sterling is here today to help me break down a top five list so kent what's going on man
2: i'll tell you what i'm just counting the days until we're back watching real basketball that we can talk about on these things and i love doing the top five lists but I'm kind of I'm jonesing for a resumption of the regular season. Then let's get to the postseason and see if the Pacers can kind of use some kind of advantage that they built during this coronavirus kind of stoppage of play to maybe gain an advantage on the rest of the
1: East. Yeah, that'd be fun to see because there are some talks going on right now that they're trying to get the NBA season back and there's no pressure to have it done by a certain date. They said they still have plenty of time to get things going. And I'm just going to be patient. I've kind of gotten used to the fact that the season, it feels like the season's over, so to say. So it'll be weird, actually, to kind of pick it back up. But I've gotten used to no sports, no live sports. It's been a weird adjustment, I will have to admit to that. But, you know, nowadays when you turn TV on, you're pretty much just seeing old games or documentaries, uh, so to say, like the last dance that everybody keeps talking about.
2: You know what? And I'm not going to say I've had the last dance kind of up to here. But once you see it live, to see it regurgitated throughout the week on SportsCenter, I just, I have no need for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I watched the thing. I get it. I know what happened. I know why Michael chose Nike over Adidas and Converse. I'm, I'm there already. I don't need a regurgitation of that, the highlights of a documentary, which is nothing but the highlights of what happened 25 years ago. You know, I, I want highlights of something happening now on Sports Center, not the highlights of a documentary I watched, which is about something that happened over a quarter century ago.
1: <laughs> well, that's what happens when there's no content to cover and you're desperate for anything, <laughs> right? So uh, just like us, coming up with these lists here. So today we're going to be doing the top five trades in Pacers history. And I only did NBA. I don't know if you did any ABA trades or not, Kent, but I did not. Okay, so I only did NBA as well, so this will be the top five trades in Pacers history, NBA only. And, yeah, let's just go from there, Kent. So at number five, who do you got?
2: Number five, and I think this will come as quite a surprise, Uh, Dale Davis for Jermaine O'Neal and Joe Klein. Joe Klein, of course, never really played with the Pacers. He was one of those contract guys. This is the job I want in life right to be a contract that gets shuffled from team to team without any responsibility tethered to that contract joe klein had it rolling for a few years <laughs> where he was just a guy included in deals going to teams and never playing right. and never reporting that is a job but i think that dale going for jermaine that, you got rid of dale davis at his absolute zenith uh, uh of his Kind of success and his talent and potential, and you wind up getting a young guy who hadn't even gotten close to it yet. Spending four years out in Portland, came here and was an All Star six times.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of the thing for me. It's like you, you get rid of Dell Davis, a guy who was a really solid part of your franchise, but when the when the team decided to move in a different direction. You know, they got Davis for what he was worth, right? And then they go out and get this guy that's going to be the face of their franchise, so to say, for the next, you know, 6 years. And, and Jermaine was really good when he was healthy and was an MVP candidate at one point. So I have this trade actually quite a bit higher than you at n- number 5. So yeah, I definitely think this should be on the top 5 list, but for me, I went back to 1989 and this was when the Pacers traded Herb Williams to Dallas Yeah. Detlef Shrimp and a second round pick which became Antonio Davis. So you think about that Herb Williams, we've talked about how he's kind of an underrated pacer and he did a, a lot of good work in the 80s, but at that point you're able to get Detlef Shrimp, a guy that's you know, it was an all-star for the Pacers and had, you know, really good offensive numbers and then you include Antonio Davis who was uh, a huge part of the bench for the Pacers in the 90s. This is a trade that's a slam dunk to me and it might it might possibly could be argued to be higher, but I thought number 5 was good for this trade.
2: Yeah, I've got it a little bit higher, but I, I completely agree. When you you trade a guy like Herb Williams, who, again, a guy, and Donnie was so good at this and so coy about it, trading guys as they reach their zenith to go get guys who are going to be better down the road. And talk about better down the road, Antonio Davis was a second-round pick. Nobody even knew from UTEP. He goes to Europe. He seasons for a little bit. He comes back ready to play NBA basketball in a huge part. Uh, of what the Pacers became in the mid to late 90s
1: oh yeah and and some people would even argue that he was better than Dale Davis now I don't agree with that but I've heard people say that they thought Antonio was a more skilled offensive player and you know which he might have been but I still think Dale overall was just exactly what the Pacers needed for that starting five but Antonio was you know a great backup to have in that in that same realm of things but anyway let's move on to number four at number four what's your uh, fourth best trade in Pacers history
2: I go back to Jermaine O'Neal who they traded after playing in six all-star games here in Indianapolis. They traded him for TJ Ford, Roy Hibbert, Maceo Bastin, and Rosho Nesterovich. And uh, I I think that that was a terrific trade where they get the draft rights to Hibbert, who was taken 17th overall by the Raptors, and, and a guy who developed, I think, into one of the best rim protectors in the NBA. And if you look at the teams in like 12, 13, 13, 14, who had a chance to go to the nba finals didn't go to the nba finals but had a chance roy was a big part of that until finally i i don't know whether it was him kind of getting the contract or whatever it was but he he became a guy whose love for basketball kind of waned Mm -hmm. and and who kind of got out of the game what he wanted to get out of it and all of a sudden he was a different guy and he goes to the lakers and doesn't play terribly well but for a time he was kind of the man around here at least in terms of rim protection.
1: Yeah, that's that's one that I did actually not put on my list Kent and I don't know. I looked at it and I thought, yeah, you know, but I feel like I feel like, you know, Roy at his best was still not as uh, valuable, I guess you could say, than some of the other people I have on these trades and maybe maybe so for number 2 with my list, but we can debate that later. But yeah, for me number 4, I went with uh the Bulls Pacers trade. Where the Pacers sent Rose Best, Norman Richardson, and a future second round pick for Kevin Ollie, Ron Mercer, Brad Miller, and Ron Artest. And and the reason I love this trade so much is just because I mean Travis Best at this point was never really the same. Norman Richardson, nobody really knows who that is. He's a throw in guy. And then really you're just giving up Jalen Rose, who had come off, you know, successful seasons with the Pacers and made some great runs. But At that point, Rose, you know, we we see that he lasted a little bit longer but was never that go-to guy. And you end up getting a guy like Ron Artest who became Defensive Player of the Year. Now a lot of fans are still mad about the brawl and how he handled that whole situation. But Ron at his very best was so, so good. And I thought Kevin Ollie was a solid veteran point guard. Ron Mercer never really became anything. And then Brad Miller was a guy I thought they completely gave up on way too early. And I know there were some contract uh, situations there, and that's why they dealt him eventually for Scott Pollard. But, uh, yeah, Brad Miller, I think if he would have been healthy and would have stayed on the Pacers, they might have actually had a better chance of winning uh, an NBA championship going up against those Pistons teams. I mean, imagine having Brad Miller, a skilled offensive player, going up against Ben Wallace instead of a Jeff Foster type guy. So I, I like this trade a lot for the Pacers, but I think Ron Artest is the focal point of this one for me.
2: See, that's the deal with this trade is it to me it comes down to Rose versus Artest, right? Because and and you said it, the the way that they handled Brad Miller and Brad Miller leaving quickly. I I thought that Brad Miller, if they keep Brad Miller and they don't deal him for Pollard, if they hold on to Miller, and I get why they didn't, but if they had kept him, I would put this trade in my top five. Mm-hmm. But I love Jalen Rose. I yeah. think Jalen Rose is a team first dude who went to Chicago and and at least in the short term, played exceptionally well for the Bulls and really put up good numbers for a team that, that frankly, wasn't very good. But if you boil this down to Jalen Rose versus Ron Artest, I don't even know that it's a push. I know that Artest, crazy talented and, like you said, defensive player of the year. But what he – the negative with Ron – almost equaled the positive with ron if you could have gotten like straight up all good ron and kept brad miller this would have been a fleecing Mm -hmm. uh, of the bulls but that's not what happened and so this trade didn't even make my list
1: yeah and it's one of those ones that i probably was more sentimental to because at eight years old nine years old whatever this trade went down i was just so enamored with that move because that's when the Pacers just come off that finals run. I'm really getting into them now because, wow, they almost won a championship, right? And so it's like Jalen Rose was such a key point to that. But then I see Ron Artest come in and I see how great he was defensively. And, you know, maybe I'm higher on Artest than I should be, but I just really liked him with the Pacers, with J.O., with Reggie. And at Tensley actually was decent for a season before he became crazy. But, yeah, I – you know, I love Jalen Rose, too, and I, and I have him later coming up in this uh, list as well. But the Brad Miller situation, yeah, it stinks because I've been having conversations randomly with people about Brad Miller over the last couple of weeks. And it's, it's interesting because people are like, he was so good, and we didn't realize what we were giving up when we traded him to Sacramento. And if they did realize what they were giving up, I mean, sometimes I think you just got to pay the guy <laughs> and f- figure yep. it out. But moving on, let's move on to number three. What's your number three?
2: That one, I've got the Herb Williams for Detlef and okay. uh, the number two that became Antonio Davis, uh, which we discussed a little bit. But I, I think that Antonio Davis and Dale Davis together, being the, the kind of guys that they were, allowing the Pacers to have 12 fouls to throw at teams <laughs> so those guys could be really, really physical down low, I thought made the Pacers very, very difficult to play against. I thought Antonio was a huge part of the success in 98 and in 2000.
1: Yeah, and I agree with all of that, like I mentioned earlier. So I guess I'll jump into my number three. And this is where I kind of cheated. I didn't just pick one because we traded for him a couple times, and that was Mark Jackson. So I I labeled this one the Mark Jackson trades. So, you know, you get rid of Malik Seeley, Pooh Richardson, and the draft rights to Eric Piakowski for Mark Jackson. And I know we got somebody else, but they didn't really do anything for us. And then, you know, Mark was a huge part of our team in those early to mid-'90s then you end up trading Mark Jackson for Jalen Rose and the tenth overall pick, which was Eric Dampier. And then you reacquire Mark Jackson that same season for Vincent Eskew, Eddie Johnson, and a few second round picks. So essentially yep. you acquire Jalen Rose and the tenth pick for Vincent Eskew, Eddie Johnson, and a few second round picks. So uh, with all those other guys I mentioned earlier, which were all just kind of role players, right? So not not a lot of not a lot of talent there that the Pacers gave up on to acquire Mark Jackson. But, you know, trading Mark was a big, big uh, mistake, and we saw that. That The only time the Pacers missed the playoffs was the year that they traded him away, and Jalen Rose wasn't even in the rotation because, we've mentioned this before, Larry Brown had issues with him. So, yeah, right. there's a lot of trades that were orchestrated with Mark Jackson for the Pacers, but I've just really been studying Mark and what he did for the Pacers team, and, man, he, he was so pivotal, and I think you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago when we talked, you know, he was so pivotal for Reggie Miller's success, and, and people don't talk about that enough.
2: And they needed his leadership, and, and what he did, he brought some swagger, right? And, and I think that Reggie Miller did need him. Mark Jackson was a guy who was constantly in Reggie's ear telling him how good he was, and I think we all need that in life, right? And, and Reggie Miller really needed that. It wasn't until Mark Jackson came that Reggie kind of bought, Like, watch all of the Reggie uh, highlights, Mm -hmm. Right. We saw the the uh, eight points in in nine seconds, the 25th anniversary just a little bit ago. This there's Mark Jackson, you know, Mm -hmm. Mark Jackson, every time Reggie did something great, Mark Jackson is right there. And so not to jump ahead, but I've got that uh, Piatkowski, Richardson and Seeley for Jackson trade is my number two. I okay. think that was that was a tremendous trade. And you know what? I mean, it, here's how you do business. And Donnie Walsh knew this. Never make a trade with a general manager who's smarter than you. And so <laughs> what Donnie did was make that deal with the Clippers, knowing that at the top of the pyramid, there's Donald Sterling. You know you're going to get the better of Donald Sterling, just like dealing with the Knicks. You know you're going to get the better of James Dolan. So right. dealing with owners, dealing with GMs, Pick guys that you're smarter than, make trades with them, and you know, count your
1: money. Yeah, and you notice the trend early in the 2000s, the Pacers made quite a few moves with the, uh, and even late 90s, they made some moves with the Toronto Raptors as well. So there's yeah. another team yeah. you could look at before they got Masai Ujiri in there. <laughs> so makes a lot of sense, right? But And I wanted to say this real quick, too, because the Pacers acquired Chris Mullen, by trading away Eric Dampier, which they got in the Jalen Rose trade. So you think about that. You basically traded Mark Jackson for half a season (laughs) to get Jalen Rose and eventually what would be Eric Dampier's rights that you traded away like a year later for Chris Mullen. I mean, the Pacers don't make the NBA Finals and push the Bulls to seven games without Mullen, Rose, and Mark Jackson. So all those trades orchestrated together really, really were solid for three years for the Pacers all through Larry Bird's stint. But, yeah, I mean, I you know, it's funny that you had that at number two. For me, number two, this is the Paul George for Oladipo and Sabonis trade. Oh, And uh, okay. I have this one up so much higher because, you know, Paul George forced his way out, right? So the Pacers, you know, they could have had nothing for him in return. And that's why I value this trade so much because everybody hated on this trade when it went down. Nobody liked it. Everybody said the Pacers got hosed, the, the 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 Thunder robbed the Pacers, you know, and you look at Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis, two All-Stars that you got in return, and they're still yep. young. There's still plenty of room for them to grow, and one of the things, they've been playing that 2018 series against the Cavaliers on Fox Sports Indiana for the replays. I've been watching some of those games, and you just see how athletic Victor was that season. The change that he made from that previous year with the Thunder to the Pacers Mm -hmm. is a nine-day difference. I mean, he looked like a totally different player. He was so much more fit, and athletic bounce was better to me. And the injury, it just really stinks to me that that happened. And I know Victor, you know, sometimes we talk about how he kind of feels himself a little bit too much as that go-to guy, whatever. But I really believe if Victor never gets injured, I think, you know, he is considered one of the top 10 top 15 players in the league because I felt like he was ascending into that and then you got Sabonis who's finally getting the chance to prove his worth you know 18 13 and five right now are his stats this season that's unbelievable Kent and you know defensively he's not the greatest but he's still pretty solid and I think his defensive woes get made a bigger deal just because you know you compare it to Miles Turner's rim protection, and that's where people are like, "Well, Sabonis is a terrible defender." It's like I don't think you really watch Domas play defense. He's not a bad defender. It's just he looks bad chasing you know guards and wings on the perimeter. But with that being said, I just I know this trade people look at it a lot, but I just feel like you got two all stars for a guy that forced his way out. You had no other choice. Paul George was your face of the franchise, and when he pushed his way out, what were you going to do? You got two all stars in return, and they won 48 games back-to-back seasons without Paul George, and I think that's a testament to those guys coming in and being leaders on and off the court, on the bench, and the coaching staff.
2: Yeah, and that's my number one trade. I got gotcha. them on top. I, I, th- that, I just think, was a, a tremendous deal by Kevin Pritchard, and it really shows how this front office works, because Ryan Carr, the director of scouting, or vice president of scouting, I guess. I don't want to demote him. Um he has been a champion of Domas Sabonis since Sabonis was at Gonzaga and, and has always wanted the Pacers to do whatever they could to go get Domas Sabonis. And I think that Domas, it, you mentioned the defensive kind of um, limitations that he has, and, and I think that you kind of nailed it in that he's a, uh, in the right matchup. I think he's a really good defender. But if you get him switching onto guards, that's going to be hard for almost anyone. He, mm-hmm. He's not a four-position guy on the defensive end. On the offensive end, is a really clever scorer. He understands how to play the game. He's still really, really young. He's nowhere near his prime. And, and Oladipo, I think, has come into his prime as a scorer. And if Vic ever gets himself completely committed to being Victor Oladipo, the championship-level basketball player, instead of Victor Oladipo, the brand, you know, feathery Victor and this is my city and all of that stuff if he ever gets his head screwed on right with domas sabonis you can win a championship with those two guys and there was no way that they were going to win a championship with paul george being pg-13 and being sold out on becoming pg-13 and being the brand
1: instead of the player yeah and i i agree with that and so i guess just a. Uh... Unveil my number one. I told you earlier that this was up higher for me, and that's the Dale Davis for Jermaine O'Neal trade. This was my number one trade in Pacers history for me, just because of how dominant Jermaine was when he came here, and really he wasn't getting hardly any playing time with Portland. So the Pacers, you know, saw something in Jermaine, and they traded away one of the staples of their team, Dale Davis. And I know that you've actually went back and forth discussing. You wish that they would have almost given it one more year with Dale yeah. and Rick and all those guys, and hopefully they, you know, came back for one more. But they did it, and I think, like you mentioned earlier, you know Donnie got rid of Dale at the right time, and they got Jermaine in that deal, and they end up getting Dale Davis back a couple years later to to help the center position. So that was really nice as well. But yeah, for for Jermaine O'Neill, I mean, you said at six All Star appearances. He was a top three candidate, I believe, one year for MVP. So yeah. you know Jermaine had some really great years here. Jermaine O'Neill became Jermaine O'Neill. When he was in Indiana, and he never really became anything else after that. I mean, he had stints in Boston, Miami, and I don't know if he played anywhere else after that Golden State, I believe. But yeah, so he was a guy that really just, you know, embraced Indiana and he became who he was in Indiana. And the Pacers needed that as they were moving on from that 90s era. So that's why it was number one for me. And you don't have to re really talk about that if you don't want to. But if you do, go ahead. Uh, if you want to move on, we could talk about some honorable mentions that we didn't mention.
2: Well, uh, the only thing that I want to say is that we've we've really looked at, and these weren't all Donnie trades, but one of the hallmarks of Donnie Walsh as a general manager is that he rarely allowed an asset to just die on the vine. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he used, other than Reggie, he used those pieces, whether it was Antonio going for Bender, which could have been an absolutely brilliant trade, but Bender's knees didn't allow it to become that. Uh, You know, those guys, they all became other guys. You know what Um, I mean? Those guys got moved out. The exceptions being Chris Mullen, Sam Perkins. Those guys were were antiques at the point that that the Pacers even got them. But rarely did Donnie allow an asset to just diminish and wither away. He went out and got good value for him. And that's why the Pacers continued to go to the playoffs year year after year after year after year. Is that that's kind of the the hallmark of that front office is that they understand that you know assets withering is the way you become uh, you know a twelve win team and and let's face it Indianapolis is not going to tolerate that no you know they're not going to show up to watch a losing team even in the short term nobody's right. that bought in this isn't the the Philadelphia seventy sixers right <laughs> where people are going to show up. In Philly, no matter who's playing and whether or not the the Sixers are winning, same thing in Chicago. Chicago's sucked for almost an ice age, you know. I mean, they've been, they've sucked for what the last six seven years, and people keep coming to the right. United Center for what I have no idea. But fans
1: don't do that here. Yeah, they come for Zach Levine, I guess. Right? <laughs> but, yeah, right. But yeah, that's that's a good point too. And I, you know, I'm looking back at all of our all of our trades, and I think we had four out of the five that were the same. The yeah. only difference was you had the Roy Hibbert trade, and I had the uh, Artest trade on here. So I, I'm curious, Kent. Um, I want to ask you uh, your honorable mentions, and then I want to ask you another topic uh, about trades and, and trading players. But as far as honorable mentions go, what did you have at six? I know you said you only went down to six off air. So yeah. What was that and, one? And
2: you kind of hit it. Because you you bundled both the the mark or all the Mark Jackson trades into one, but I've got Vincent to ask you, Eddie Johnson, two number twos for Mark Chance Jans- Mark Jackson and LaSalle Thompson, right. uh, being a terrific trade. They knew what they needed. They thought they could live without Mark Jackson. They make the deal, and then they're like, you know what? We're not the same team. We got to go get this guy back. Even. You know, with that kind of sense of urgency, they still made a hell of a deal. I mean, what'd you give up? You give up Vincent Askew. That's fine. Eddie Johnson. That's fine. (laughs) Two number twos. I don't know what they became, but I'll bet you they didn't play meaningful NBA minutes. And you wind up getting back Mark Jackson, who's kind of the straw that stirred the drink for those teams in the late nineties.
1: Yeah, that's that was a trade that I was just like blown away by. I'm like, how 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 do we get Jalen? How do we have to give up Mark Jackson to get Jalen Rose and then trade these guys to get Mark Jackson back? It didn't make a lot of sense. So, you know, once again, Denver before Masai Ujiri, right? <laughs> but, right,
2: uh, right. Uh,
1: honorable mentions for me. I had four of them that I brought up. And the Hibbert one, again, was not in this one. So I, I apologize for that if anybody's mad at me. But uh, <laughs> I uh, I did uh, Detlef Detla for Derek McKee. Yeah. Just, just because I really think that McKee was so underrated and what he did for the Pacers from the time he got there until he retired. I mean, coming off the bench, you know. In the, ni- in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, letting Rose develop, letting Mullen take his minutes, you know, just a glue guy. Never put up a lot of great numbers, but defensively they needed that wing to go next to Reggie Miller. And then I also did uh, T.J. Warren for cash. I mean, a lot of people would probably say that now that are listening because we have a lot of young listeners. And so, you know, getting T.J. Warren for basically nothing, that that's pretty obvious it's a good trade. Same thing with Brogdon. I thought trading a first-round pick for Brogdon made a lot of sense because the Pacers, if you look at their point guard depth and history, it's not very good outside of Mark Jackson. Very mediocre. And then my last one, I did Thad Young for the 20th overall pick. Now, I know that became Karis LeVert, but Karis LeVert has had injury problems. We know he could be something special someday, but I thought Thad Young for when he was here was really important to those teams. So do you like any of those trades, or all they just kind of uh, whatever to you?
2: Well, I mean, here's the deal, is we really don't know yeah, uh, like I th- I think that there's still facts not in evidence with the Brogdon trade. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're not sure what that tra- what that that draft is going to become, you know, and the guys who uh, who could have been taken. Uh, I love Malcolm Brogdon to this point. He, he's been he's been a nice player when he's been healthy. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a little bit problematic. You may have given up a number one for a guy who can't stay on the floor. I hope that's not the case and and i like malcolm brogdon a lot as a guy who can do a lot of things and lead for the indiana pacers but we really haven't seen a whole lot of brogdon and oladipo playing together and they're going to have to figure out how to do that at a high level or you know we got problems in that trade all of a sudden doesn't look quite as good as as maybe it would have instead of now listen to this this is the kind of revisionist history where if i was a general manager i would hate a guy doing this because it's patently unfair mm-hmm. the the pacers they traded the 20th overall pick which was used on karis levert right it, in exchange for thad young but what they could have gotten is what Toronto got at 27, and that's Pascal Siakam. <laughs> and so as you do some revisionist history in how trades might have worked, instead of looking at this as Thad Young for Karis LeVert, how about we look at it as uh, Thad Young for Pascal Siakam? Then that tra- the bloom comes off the rose in a hurry on that right. trade when you look th- look at it through that prism. I don't think that that's necessarily fair, Yeah, but that you can choose to do that if you like.
1: Right, and I, one of the things I want to say is like you know you look at that young well he he was a good player for the Pacers but you know he wasn't that player that got them to you know an Eastern Conference Finals right or wasn't a part of a team that had a lot of major success same with Warren and Brogdon that's why I couldn't put those on my list because if you think about it you know I, I guess you already do that with Oladipo and Sabonis but. At that point, you know, you're, you're talking about a guy forcing his way out. These were just trades the Pacers made to get better. And, you know, same thing with Shrimp for McKee. It's like, yeah, that's a good one, but at the same time, you got Detlef Antonio for Herb Williams. Like, the, the value that you gave up to get back is what made a big difference in me right? putting other trades ahead of it. And then, of course, the success that those players had. You can look back now and say, well, you know, that they never trade Mark Jackson away, they don't get Jalen Rose. Well, if they never get Mark Jackson back, what do they end up doing? So those teams having success definitely makes those trades have a better case for why they should be on the list. But what, like I said earlier, I was, I've been watching these Cavs series against the Pacers where they took them to seven games. Super fun series, and I know that we lost it in seven, but still it was a fun series to watch. Now, you look at that time when the Pacers were making that transition from Paul George's team to the Oladipo Sabonis-Miles Turner era, and they signed guys to short contracts like Darren Collison and Bojan Bogdanovich. So my question, since we're talking about trades— I know those two teams back-to-back years won 48 games, but you know they got bounced in the first round of the playoffs. Would it have been smarter to invest in those guys that they signed while they were having good seasons and traded them for assets for the future instead of writing it out like they did?
2: Knowing now, knowing what we know, yes. But if they beat the Cavs in seven, if Bogdanovich goes crazy in game seven like he did in the, the game earlier in the season or in that series – then all of a sudden they look really damn smart, don't they? Mm-hmm. So you know, I I do think that that's kind of the trade off that the Pacers historically make, where you know they they try to improve themselves incrementally for the upcoming season, at the expense of what they could be three years from now. But like we were saying, this market, this city market that that's media guy talk right mm-hmm. but the city is just not large enough nor passionate enough about the pacers to back a team that wins 15 games for two years a- as you try to you know try to 76ers this thing and process this thing that just isn't going to work in indianapolis so they have to be as good as they can be every single year and i think that kevin did the right thing in building that team the way he did
1: yeah, and I think, you know, I, I was, I've was i been hearing people talk about it. Maybe they should have made those trades. And it's been off-air talk that I've had those conversations with other fans and guys that really are passionate about this team. But one thing you have to realize is if they trade a Darren Collison and a Bojan during that season, how does that affect the morale of the locker room? That's one of right. the things you have to realize. Like Oladipo and Sabonis, they, I mean, mostly, mostly Oladipo, he changed the entire culture. And Kevin Pritchard said that. Like he came in here, he was so positive. You know, we we've tried to instill that with our organization. And, you know, while it might sound kinda cute, so to say, I, I still think that, you know, you have to make sure during that series of a change, I mean you're you're changing your whole franchise at this point, getting rid of Paul George, rebuilding everything. I mean, each move they made, none of it looks spectacular on paper. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, We really signed Darren Cawson again? I was so ready for him to leave the <laughs> first time he was here. And then Bojan, he he was actually pretty <laughs> underwhelming when he was on the Wizards the season before that when they traded him from the Nets. So you, you're just kind of looking at these teams and you're like, what are we doing? Like, this is going to be a long season. But then that long season, there was no expectations, and the Pacers win 48 games. And so that yep. just got fans so excited. And I tell you what, Kent, I was watching that series. I posted a picture on Twitter, and I said, who else misses this guy? And it's a picture of Bojan sitting down after getting fouled on that corner that three point shot where he hits a four point play. And I had like over like six hundred likes on that picture. It, and yeah. that just goes to show you how much fans love Bojan Bogdanovich. And I really think if the Pacers could have kept him somehow, even though I thought overpaying for him would not have been a smart move long term, if they could have kept him somehow with the guys they still got, that would have been an aw- he would have made this team so much better in my opinion.
2: Well, he was so much better than advertised, right? What yeah. we heard is that he's a lights-out shooter and an abysmal defender. I thought he was really a pretty good defender. I thought he was okay. I thought he nutted up and really played hard on the defensive end for a season and and made himself one of those guys that Pacers fans really, really vibed with. That wasn't the direction that the this team needed to go. I guess they needed to kind of change the laundry a little bit and and get a little bit younger. And so they did, and they put themselves in a position very, very quickly. And Kevin Pritchard, I don't think it's nearly enough credit as an NBA executive, really changed a lot of guys. Mm -hmm. A lot of nameplates in the locker room switched, and they were still a really good team. And you lost, really, the leadership of that team, right? Thad gone, Darren gone, Boyan gone, replaced by guys like T.J. Warren, who's never going to be confused with a great leader. He's quieter than a church mouse uh you you bring in you bring in other guys who aren't really you know lamb's not that kind of a leader you you don't so i think it cleaned things up right you know i guess i guess looking at it now it sort of cleaned things up it made them younger it gave domas uh, a chance to expand his game offensively um I, i think that the the way they changed from 1819 to 1920 was really really coy and really smart and if i had to give if i had to list my reasons for being real bullish on the indiana pacers looking ahead to the rest of this season assuming that they resume and then beyond into next year and and beyond as long as you can retain vic you know what this is a team i think that kevin pritchard can put in a position to win a lot of games, fifty-three, fifty-five games in the regular season, and really, cont- depending on what Giannis does, really contend with the rest of the East.
1: Yeah, that's a great point you brought up too. You know, thinking about the guys that they did bring in, I think the biggest veteran they brought in was T.J. McConnell. I think that yeah, he yeah. has been so good for that locker room. And you know, I remember when Aaron Holiday was you know playing more minutes than him starting with the team when brogdon was hurt and you know mcconnell was just praising aaron Holiday and his growth and i remember even aaron Holiday was saying you know tj really helps us and really gets us playing a little bit faster with the second unit and you know he believes in me and he keeps encouraging me i mean that's the kind of players you need to help these young players develop it's a veteran that's going to push them but you know know that hey I'm, I'm trying to get these guys to where they can really excel and help this team and maybe overachieve so to say and the coaching staff at the indiana pacers is so underappreciated by most fans. Yeah. Look at T.J. Warren, like you said, Bojan Bogdanovic, known for not being defensive players, and sure, they're not stellar defensive players after they left Indiana, but they're a lot better in their time here. They proved that they could be, you know, defensive playmakers. I mean, I haven't seen T.J. Warren try this hard on defense in his entire career. Same for Bojan Bogdanovic when he was here. It's Dan Burke has instilled such a yeah. great defensive presence on this Pacers team, they demand it. And we had David West on our podcast last week. He said the same thing. I'm telling you, he said, this is going to be the best thing for TJ. They're going to demand that he plays defense and he plays you know basketball on both ends of the court. Pacer fans should be excited about that. It's not just about offense. I know the numbers. Everybody wants us to shoot a thousand threes a game and only take layups. No mid-range shot should be taken. But I think the Pacers have a great coaching staff. And you know, you brought up Oladipo, you brought up the playoffs, possibly returning There's been a lot of speculation around that Oladipo, you know, a lot of teams have interest in him and that this offer that the Pacers gave him was just like so insulting to him. And I I remember when that came out, it was not even that big of a deal, but we have nothing to talk about now. Right. So the Knicks apparently have interest in Oladipo because he's a free agent like they do everybody else. So uh, when you hear these kind of rumors about Oladipo and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on what the Pacers and how the Pacers should handle this situation?
2: Well, the first thing, let me ask you because I don't know. I I saw the offer on Twitter, and I didn't see it sourced from anybody that I take too very seriously. That doesn't mean that it wasn't sourced by anybody that I would take
1: seriously. I just didn't see it. That report, where did that come from? Do you know? So I think the first time I saw it was Zach Lowe, and I think he said the Pacers offered like – like, they can't offer the the max offer anyway because of Oladipo's contract and whatever. The extension or whatever cannot be greater until it's his contract's up or something like that. And so with the injury, they offered him just like a casual four for $80, 80 million. So four years, $80 million. And they said, we'll just talk at the end of the season when this contract's up or whatever. And then New York's Ian Begley, I believe it was, is the guy who brought it back to life. But when Zach Lowe reported it in one of his articles, it was kind of just like, he just said it, and this moved on. It wasn't a big deal. So it wasn't like in- Oladipo was insulted. It was just like, hey, let's just see how you return from this injury and then talk again. So that's kind of where it all started. You know,
2: we w- with this deal, we we get to that conversation, right? Uh-huh. Whether if Victor wants to be here and if, if the Pacers – look, they've got to be a little bit – Players have to be mercenaries, and so does management within a, within a professional sports league. They, they, whether it's baseball, football, hockey, or basketball, you've got to figure out whether somebody's worth more to your franchise wearing somebody else's uniform or whether he's worth more in your own locker room. And so you've got to figure that out with Vic. If they could make a deal and send Vic and get serious consideration back, almost like a Paul George to the Thunder type right. deal, I think you make the trade. You yeah. know, you, you make a deal like that, and you make your franchise better. If, if Victor doesn't want to be here, you know, that's that's a thing. So maybe you have to have a conversation with him like happened with Paul, and and you make that decision, and, and off he goes, and he's replaced by somebody else we fall in love with. That's cool. It happens all the time. You know, Reggie retired. The franchise continued. Nobody's been more important to a franchise other than Michael with the Bulls Maybe Then Reggie, and this, I mean, not going back throughout, obviously, you know, like Bill Russell was really important to the Celtics. I'm not saying that Reggie was more important to the Pacers than Russell was to the Celtics. But in modern NBA history, Reggie Miller is a statue guy, and there aren't that many statue guys in the NBA because of the transient nature of the league. If, if Vic is worth more somewhere else so we can get back guys, I, I say go ahead and do that. I mean, Victor's going to have to figure out whether he wants to be a guy who, who plays for six, seven different teams during his career or whether he's a guy who wants to call a place home and be an important cog in a machine in a city. Does he want to be that? What's he want to be? You know, it's, it's going to be up to him. If he doesn't want to play for 20 million a year, uh, I get it. You know, he might be worth more than that, but twenty million years a hell of a lot of money for God's sake.
1: Yeah, especially coming off that injury, you know, we still haven't seen him reach that peak that he was at. So, I mean, that's good insurance, but, you know, I, I think this is going to get even more blown out of proportion since the documentary came out with Scotty Pippen being underpaid for so long. Now, now players are going to be like, well, I don't want to be the next Scotty, you know, even though they're getting paid like Zach Levine. I think Zach Levine made more money this year than Scotty did his whole entire Bulls championship team run. So that's just kind of where we're at money wise. But I mean, what is your feel though on Victor Oladipo? Do you, do you have a sense yeah. that he's going to want to stay or do you think that it's just kind of up in the air right now?
2: I don't know. Victor's an interesting guy. Victor Victor is very unique. He doesn't see the world through the same prism that almost anybody else does. And, and trying to predict what he's going to do is really tough. I interviewed, I might have been the first guy to interview him. As soon as he got to Bloomington as a freshman to be at IU, I interviewed Vic. And I spent about 10 minutes with him And I thought at the end of the interview, look, I don't know whether this guy's going to play basketball professionally because he came in as like the 150th ranked kid in his class out of DeMatha High School in suburban D.C. And But I said, you know what, whatever he does, he's going to be successful at it. That guy behaved as a success. He believed as a success. And I absolutely fell in love with the guy. What he's become is a little more isolated and and a little more Victor Oladipo the brand than Victor Oladipo the player, and that bothers me a little bit um, because you don't win with win with brand guys. You yeah. don't win with Dan Dockage calls them shoe guys, and and he uses that term related to college basketball. But I absolutely believe that. Like if if all you want to do is maximize your value and retire with two hundred million dollars in the bank and an opportunity to make more via marketing. And, and be a guy who's in the quarter of a billion dollar, dollar club, you can go ahead and do that. Or you can kind of take the Tom Brady route, right? Tom Brady never made top dollar with the Patriots, never wanted top dollar, because he knew that through winning championships, he was going to bank endless money, infinite money, not determined by the NFL salary cap, throughout his life being a guy who's won six championships. And while you can't bank on six championships being won, you know what? Tom Brady made the right decision. So a Vic is, is thinking and says, here's where the cap is, here's where the luxury tax threshold is, and I don't want to take up more than I need to, and I'm going to recoup this on the back end because I'm going to win a bunch of games and I'm going to be the leader of this team. He can do that. Or... He can kind of auction himself to the top top paying franchise, and if that's the Knicks, it's the Knicks, and off he goes to make a whole bunch of money. When he could be a guy who'd make more taking the other route, the Tom Brady route.
1: Yeah, and I think what's interesting is you you look at Oladipo and you you talk about how he becomes you know the the promo guy, the the feathery guy, talking about himself, and it kind of goes back to the PG thirteen era. Which it all yep. happens once they got that injury and they have that whole year off of rehab. They really start marketing themselves. And I think that's partially because they're, you know, not on the court. So they're trying to find another way to brand themselves, other ways to, you know, stay relevant, so to say, and not be forgotten. And, you know, fans don't forget, but at the same time, when they're not on the court, they're not even thinking about them being on the court at this point. So I can kind of see where those two tried to like just become these quote unquote shoe guys to market themselves, brand themselves during the time when they weren't on the court. But at the same time, I feel like I feel like Victor is wired a little bit differently than Paul George. I, I do feel like there's a little bit more no, loyalty. definitely, yeah. So I feel like there's a little bit more loyalty to Indiana. It would probably shock me more if Victor decided to leave Indiana. But at this rate, nothing really surprises me anything anymore in the NBA because guys leave all the time and you know it'll be interesting because we still don't know what the what the front office is going to do with Sabonis and Turner are they going to keep them together are they going to trade them I mean I guess that's more speculation for us to talk about but as far as the way they build this roster you know does Victor feel like he can win a championship here with the pieces he has he says he does to the media but does he really feel that way so we'll see with what he does but I would lean more towards I believe that he, in my gut saying that he will stay with the pacers but you know at the end of the day it's going to be tough if he doesn't get the contract that he wants
2: there's an interesting relationship we haven't discussed and and I think that this relationship determines the course for a lot of guys and that's the agent player relationship if you're making 3% from all of your players like let's say you've got a stable of 20 guys who are nba players in your agency and you make three percent from all of them. What you're trying to do is maximize the revenue you generate from each of those, right? And and you do that through free agency and getting max deals and that kind of thing. But the players, I mean, I, I would like I would like all the players to sit down and and write like a three page report, mail it to me, and I'll grade it and send it back to them. And what it's got to be about is what I'm going to do with $250 million instead of $180 million in my life. I wouldn't know the difference personally if I had $10 million in the bank or if I had a billion dollars in the bank. I would have no idea the difference that $990 million had to my lifestyle. I just I don't know what I would do to spend all of it. It's a right. preposterous amount of money, and the difference between two hundred and fifty and one hundred and eighty million dollars to the player is nothing. The difference between those two things to the agency is everything.
1: Right, right. That's that's a great point you brought up there, Kent. So I, I guess we're just in wait and see mode. But more importantly, yeah. I'm just you know more excited to see if the season's going to come back, and I think eventually it will. But at the same time, you know, if they do cancel it, I, I I don't want them to. But I've, like I said earlier, I'm just getting kind of used to it. It feels like the season's already over. But I do think the playoffs would be fun. And I think no fans. It would be a different environment. But it could possibly be even tougher to win a championship with the Things that all these players are having to go through, you know, not playing for multiple months and then having to come back and try to figure out how to, you know, play with their teammates again and, and get in sync because it takes a while to develop that chemistry. And once you lose it for a little bit, you know, the greats can figure it out. But over time, you all need that time to gel. And then you also have to remember no fans, which can change the entire series if you have home court or not. Because you have your fans going crazy for you. It's hard to play if you're uh, the opposing team on the road, and now you might not even have that as an issue. So it'll be interesting to see if the playoffs come back, but I think that they'll make the most of it.
2: We'll see. I- I'm looking forward to it. I want them to get back playing. Um, you know, I-, I think that we have taken the coronavirus threat very, very seriously and for very, very good reasons. At some point, we got to say, okay, you know what? If you don't fall into one of the groups, who is most likely to be adversely affected by coronavirus time to get back to living our lives a little bit not being frivolous about it but within the confines of what medicine and medical professionals tell us is safe let's go get them
1: yeah i agree i agree so anyway guys we're going to wrap this episode up hope you guys enjoyed it and kent we'll have to think of another top five list to do here within the next couple of weeks but until next time, I'll talk to you later, Kent. And uh, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3 And Kent Sterling is at Kent Sterling. And I'm at Alex, Golden MBA. So peace out,
0: Pacer Nation. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.